Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Lieutenant Colonel Karen Kwiatkowski joins us now. Karen, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you have a very interesting piece uh, out this morning or yesterday and posted at judgenap.com and elsewhere uh, comparing and contrasting the deaths in prison of the American journalist Gonzalo Lira uh, and the Russian political activist Alexei Navalny. Your uh, comparison is not so much to the manner of their death, but to the reaction by Western governments to their deaths. Take it from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's shocking how, how differently... Um... Uh, particularly the Americans, but also the Europeans, but just in terms of our government. And we have an American citizen who was uh, taken prisoner in Kiev for basically criticizing or criticizing the uh, Zelensky's government, uh, speaking honestly about what he was seeing regarding the war uh, there and, and how it was going, which, of course, um, this is Gonzalo Lira. And um you know, even at that time, he was he was uh, picked on, even when he was reporting here in Western newspapers and by the, the, the United States government, they, they poo-pooed him and, oh, and they kept calling him, a Ch I think, a Chilean-American. Well, he was born in California, so pretty much he's an American. Um, he's also married, uh, or was, he passed now, this is the whole point, he, he died in prison with, uh, uh, out any help from the State Department. And with basically no comment and no sadness and no anything uh, from the United States government, uh, you can, whether it's State Department, the president, any of them, uh, the media, uh, just poo-pooed the whole thing as if this didn't matter because he was on the wrong side of Washington, D.C. narrative. Um, and then, of course, you have Navalny, who has been on the right side of D.C.'s narrative vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia for, for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, he, in, yes, he was in prison, but he actually had a trial. Uh, he was convicted earlier of crimes and then they convict, you know, he, there were some other things. So he, but he had a trial. Now that's contrary just in that point to what Gonzalo Lira had, which was no trial. He was pretty much taken and thrown in prison and there was nothing. We didn't even have a date of a trial. Um, anyway, Navalny, of course, as we know, because the Western media is filled with the reports 
uh, died in his prison. He recently moved to a Siberian prison and he was on a walk outdoors, actually, which is interesting because I don't think Gonzalo Liris, Lira was allowed to walk around outside. But in any case, he, uh, he passed. Um, they don't know the circumstances. Of course, anytime someone dies in prison, you know, uh, uh, Epstein didn't hang himself. You know, there's always this wondering, how did a person die in the custody of the state? How does this happen? We always have questions. But the West, in the case of Navalny, has immediately said, oh, Putin killed him, personally made the order, it's dead, it's a done deal, without any evidence other than the traditional suspect of government. Certainly, we, we suspect the state when a prisoner dies. That, that's natural. I get that. But, um, you know, it's, it's just the, the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Um, but again, Navalny not only worked with the West, was helped, funded by the West, he supported the Western narrative. And of course, Gonzalo Lira challenged that Western narrative. And that's the difference. And so I tried to just point that out in my article. <laughs> what, what, if anything, did the American State Department do for Gonzalo Lira, who was born in the United States of America? Yeah, well, um, I think he had a couple of visits. You know, he was uh, arrested for the final time sometime in May. Um, he'd been harassed before then. He had been picked up and disappeared for a week sometime in uh, early 2023, I believe it was. So he had been in prison uh, since May of last year, and I think he had two, maybe three visits by the State Department. But those, we don't know. I don't know that for sure. At least he had one, but they didn't do anything. You know, it was just like, well, you know, I wish we could help you, um, but we can't do anything. And of course, you know, we own the Ukrainian government. We are funding their war. We are paying every civil servant salary in Ukraine, and have been doing that for several years now. I think. If we wanted to get an American citizen out of the jail, even if it was to deport him back to the United States, whatever, that could have happened in the blink of an eye. And it wouldn't have needed even the president's involvement. You know, I mean, uh, when we talk about prisoner exchanges between us and Russia or, you know, major countries, um, that is a top level decision. It has to be negotiated by the State Department by the, the, even sometimes the legislatures of these countries. This would not have been required with Gonzalo Lira. They could have, they, they didn't, the State Department could have worked this whole thing out. We, we own the Ukrainian government. So here what we have with Gonzalo Lira was we actually, the United States government actually put him in prison, wanted him in prison, didn't give him medical care, and he died in prison. It's on the United States government entirely. I don't even blame the Ukrainians. Because he exercised the freedom of speech uh, to question American involvement to Ukraine and Ukraine's willingness to fight a war that all rational observers know it has lost already. Yeah. And, and he, you know, Gonzalo, um, uh, his, his uh, imparting of information, you know, very opinionated. Okay, something I know a little bit about. He was very opinionated. And he would give his opinion, but he was also one of the few um, Americans in Ukraine not being harbored or protected by uh, the Ukrainian government or the military, not, not you know, cowering in Kiev. He was in the country. He was married to a Ukrainian woman. He had two, he had two children, which are now fatherless because of uh, the situation, who have Ukrainian citizenship. Um, and they're Ukrainians. They're half Ukrainians. They were born there. So this whole thing is uh, uh, just insane. But 
I don't think he criticized like, hey, I'm Gonzalo Lira, the United States is dead wrong. That's not, that wasn't his approach. His approach was an approach of journalism. He, he would see things and he would say things. In fact, isn't that what the Department of Homeland Defense wants us to do? See something, say something? But apparently they don't. It's only, they, they want you to agree with the state narrative and obey it. And Gonzalo didn't do that and he's now dead. And no one in this country, except for the people that pay attention to news on both sides of the aisle, uh, even are halfway aware of what happened to him. Was um, Navalny uh, a CIA or MI6 asset? And you can add in that answer, since you probably don't know precisely, mm -hmm. uh, whether he was receiving assistance for his activism from the CIA or the MI6. Was the American government in any way, probably indirectly, financing his efforts to destabilize uh, President Putin's presidency. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Um, I think that they were, um, not in a direct way. Um, and I think the CIA was certainly involved in uh, supporting uh, and helping him do the work that he was doing, Navalny, you know, as a, as a lawyer, as a political activist, as a candidate within Russia, because he, I think he ran at one point or attempted to run against uh, Putin in one of their elections. So he's been around for a while. Um, I, I will say this, um, we have their, their video, of course, which I linked in the article of Navalny discussing color revolution in Russia uh, with an MI6 agent. So that would be the UK's uh, version of the CIA. Uh, so Some people the, have argued that that is not Navalny, that it's his chief of staff or uh, uh, a colleague of his, but not him. Oh, well, could be. But I think you know, the people that we hang around with, why would the CIA care about talking to his chief of staff? Why would, the, why would MI6 care about that? Well, they care about it because the West and its anti-Putin uh, in particular, anti-Russia and anti-Putin, in this, in this anti-Putin narrative, uh, Putin as dictator, Putin as uh, whatever, all the things that they say, Russians is, is just basically an expansionist evil power. All of these things, this message is assisted if you have a person like Navalny, who is, you know, this fighting, this uh, freedom fight kind of thing. And um, Americans love freedom fighters, and he fits into that, that part of it. Now, when we look at what the CIA does, 
And I thought it was funny, not funny. I thought it was interesting in the, uh, the Tucker Carlson interview of Putin of, I guess, a week or so ago. Putin mentioned uh, CIA assets, and he pointed out that uh, Tucker Carlson's father had worked in the CIA, which Tucker did not respond to. Um, but this sense that the Russians have of the massive infiltration of the CIA into just about everything uh, in Europe and around the world, uh, wherever there's a revolution, a color revolution, uh, the fact that they feel that way about it is, is I think, interesting and made me think, I wonder if he's right or wrong. I mean, are they overreacting to the CIA? And then, then I, I come to find out, like I shouldn't already, but I didn't, how many um, think tanks here in the United States and in Europe and how many organizations like the Aspen Institute and the Atlantic Council, how many of these organizations really get funding through the U.S. government and you know, military, active duty military in uniform cannot really participate in that. But how many retired CIA directors are on their boards and how many other folks with CIA ties are participating here in the managing of uh, messaging? Because we're supposed to be a democracy. Who knows if we are? They say it. You know, I'd like to think it's a republic. But if we are a democracy and it depends on what people think is who will become elected, who, how policies will be made is what the average person thinks. Then narrative management domestically is so, so it's very important. So the CIA has a big role. We also know the CIA has a huge black budget. I wonder if Putin knows what it is because Americans don't know what it is. It's certainly um, uh, humongous. I mean, we've got a trillion dollars to the Pentagon, but uh, it's not, we don't know what we're actually spending on the CIA and the parts of the government, the CIA, uh, controls and and manages so it's a big organization i don't have the the evidence that says he's a cia asset but we do know that the cia likes him we know biden and the administration like him they like a navalny they like anybody like a navalny um another thing we can look at navalny's uh widow and you know my condolences to her of course but when he passed uh, a couple three days ago you know, she was a featured speaker at the uh, Munich military conference, which is a, a World Economic Affairs counterpart. They, they kind of advertise themselves like that. You know, a global military strategy uh, meeting, which has gone on for many, many decades. Um, and, and so you have to ask yourself, why would Navalny's widow, I'm not saying that she's not qualified. She, she may well be very qualified, but why would she be a speaker at that conference. Well, he's a speaker at that conference because the leadership of the West um, and of Europe, the United States and Europe, it like they they want they they like her. They need her. She serves a purpose that they want to promote. And so it's not just Alexei Navalny who has passed, but but the name Navalny. It, it it's it is an operation. Whether the CIA is behind it a hundred percent or just partially, you know, I can't be sure. But um, certainly uh, the reality and the reaction of the West to Navalny's death was over the top. It was almost uh, canned. It was like watching uh, it was like watching that video of, of uh, all of the news media saying the exact same thing. I mean, that's what we saw uh, really hours after his death was reported. Putin killed him. Putin killed him. Putin killed him. Um, you know, planned the murder. Everything is around that one canned reaction. And that's very uh that's very indicative of 
narrative control, and in this country, narrative control is uh, especially well done, and we rely heavily on the CIA to do it. That's my opinion. We have a, a clip, Chris. I don't uh, forgive me. I don't have the number of it. It's where the uh, reporter says to President Biden, uh, "You once said uh, in Geneva, if anything happened to uh, Navalny in prison, uh, the uh, Russians would have to pay for it." And President Biden uh, responds, Here, "Here's that uh, cut, Karen." Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe they're not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. You warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them in a position where they've been subjected to great sanctions across the board, and we're contemplating what else could be done. But the, the, what we were talking about at the time, there were no actions being taken against Russia. And that look all this transpired since then. Why would uh, the president of the United States in Geneva three years ago, <clears throat> pardon me, Karen, have made such a statement, but for his intelligence community telling him this guy is one of ours and we either have to protect him or get him out? Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting that um, I did not realize that he also equated what's happened in the last three years as kind of the punishment that that Russia was receiving, he connected that to um, Navalny's death, even though, you know, maybe he's connecting it to Navalny, Navalny's imprisonment. But um, clearly, you know, you remember when we uh, had the guy for Venezuela, I don't know if, I can't remember his name. We had a guy that was gonna take over Venezuela for us. He was uh, a few years back and um, he wasn't popular in Venezuela at all, but we, and he, you know, we, we worked it up and he was, we recognized him as the government in absentia, I think, uh, not so long ago. And that was uh, clearly with the influence of our intelligence community saying, hey, this is how we can change the government there. We've got a guy. We've got a guy. And that We've got a guy. We can change your government. That's a CIA story from 60 years old. I mean, you pick your decade. We've got lots of examples where we've got a guy and we're going to change your government. So it isn't surprising that they would have seen three years ago that Navalny had a real shot. First off, our human intelligence in Russia is pitiable, pitiable, I should say. It's pitiful and it's not very good. So an average person who looks at it would say, Navalny, that doesn't make any sense. There's no chance. But people inside the Beltway could have very well have thought Navalny had a chance and that this would have been a great color revolution. And that color revolution, as we saw in 2014, also in Ukraine, which ultimately has has uh, served as the launching point of this war proxy war against Russia they are all connected and you know for all of Biden's confusion I think he actually uh, made that connection in that commentary has um, the American CIA uh, infiltrated uh, the Kremlin better than the Russians I guess they call themselves FSB today rather than KGB. Uh, have infiltrated the U.S.? 
That's a good question. <laughs> I don't think our intelligence is very good. If, but I don't know how much they really know and what's simply being told to the American people by way of uh, domestic propaganda, domestic uh, anti-Putin, anti-Russian propaganda. So it's hard to say how much we truly know. Um, I'll give you an example of how poor it might be. Um, Michael McCall, who used to be, he's a uh, congressman from Texas, and he used to be the uh, 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 head of our, our, our representative, our dip, head diplomat in Moscow. He is extremely uh, anti-Putin and extremely anti-Russia, wants to break it up, have a, have a, a color revolution there, um, wants to fight Russia every way he can, loves sanctions, uh, greatly supports the uh, Ukraine battle, you know, best money that, you know, that our taxpayers have ever spent. He, he adheres to that. Um, and he spent time in Russia. I presume he speaks Russian. He obviously must have contacts there even to this day. And he's extremely ill-informed. Um, he's in Congress. He probably has access, I'm sure, to uh, whatever intelligence he would like to have uh, from the CIA, from the DIA, from wherever, regarding Russia. So he has no excuse not to be well-informed. Of, of all the people in this country, he, we expect him, we, we should expect him to be extremely well-informed. And yet the things that he says uh, seem illogical, irrational, uh, and poorly informed. So it's very possible that our intelligence in Russia is, is not, is, is really uh, at a nadir. It's, it's, it's really uh, poor right now. It's possible, but I don't know how to gauge that because I don't know how much our government tells us is true and how much they tell us just so we will support whatever spending programs that they want to advocate. So I can't tell for sure, but it seems like some of the smartest people that understand what's going on in Russia are not working in the U.S. government and they're not in Congress. So um, your average guy, your average businessman, I mean, Elon Musk has a better sense of what's going on there than most of the Congress people. And I don't think Elon Musk is getting direct uh, CIA daily briefings. You know, the uh, Congress has this crazy Congress within a Congress known uh, locally on Capitol Hill as the Gang of Eight. And it is the chair and ranking members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees uh, and the leaders of the Republican and Democrats Republicans and Democrats in the House uh, and uh, in the Senate. Those eight folks often receive um, classified briefings from the uh, intelligence community. They can discuss it among themselves in the skiff, the, the secure windowless room in the basement of the Capitol where they meet, but they're not allowed to tell their constituents who sent them there. They're not allowed to tell the press, which under the First Amendment is the eyes and ears of the public. They're not even allowed to tell their uh, colleagues uh, in the Congress. I don't know if Mike McCall is in that group. I have heard him say things uh, on Fox News, which struck me as odd and ill-informed. This is consistent with what you're saying. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I remember hearing it at the time and thinking, geez, that's odd. He should know better than that because at the time he was in the Gang of Eight and he was getting these uh, secret reports. I don't know if he's still uh, in there now. I don't I don't think he is. I think the chairman of the, or the chair of the House Intelligence Committee is this guy, Mike Turner, who tried to scare everybody two weeks ago by saying he had top secret information and the 
Congress need to know about it. This was just a stunt to get them to vote to reenact Section 702 of the Patriot Act, which allows the intelligence community to spy without warrants. And I think even those in favor of 702 saw right through what Mike Turner did. But I mean, it's a it's a mess. You refer to the American government as the post republic non-democratic government. That is right on the mark in my view, but what do you mean by that, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Kwiatkowski? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you grow up being taught that that we have a republic uh, with a representative democracy, a system that is very cleanly and clearly outlined by the Constitution. And, and, it, and it's supposed to function in a certain way. And it has a certain purpose. That's the Constitution. And people study it. People swear to uphold it. You know, military people and, and judges and all kinds of people swear to uphold this. So um, this is what we believe. But when you open your eyes and start looking at how it operates and how it functions and the things that it does and how it avoids um, adherence to the Constitution, not just in the big things, but in every little thing, too. So it's a lawless government. Um, that's the republic part. It's gone. There's no republic. The democracy part is becoming more and more um, clear to people as we see uh, how elections are manipulated, how popular opinion is manipulated. Uh, we're, we're learning a lot about it, and we have been for some time. Um, how a government, uh, the security state, spies on its own people, and why would it do that? Why would it buy data? from our of our actions and why would it be so interested in what we're looking and doing in social media why would it care well it cares because it is attempting to shape the outcomes of our democratic process so it's post-republic because it doesn't follow the law and it's post-democratic because our democracy is heavily manipulated by our very government uh, and its media arm which is legacy media for the most part and then some of some of the modern media even AI, I mean, is, you know, AI, if you have uh, some of the, uh, uh, what is it that you say, write me, write me a paper, they'll write you a paper, and the perspective of the paper from AI will very much be consistent with uh, the federal government's uh, current narrative. So it's everywhere, and it's manipulating our democracy, and so we don't really have one. And when we wake up as people, and people are starting to be frustrated with this, and as we wake up to this reality, we will change it. Um, and I hope we'll change it peacefully, but uh, it will be changed when people wake up because uh, nobody is nobody wants to be a, a, a useful tool for a government that could care less about them. As Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence, when the government ceases to protect our liberties or actively assaults them, it is time we have the right and the duty to alter and abolish it. Karen, it's always a pleasure, my dear friend, no matter what we talk about, whether it's death in prison or death of uh, liberty. Thank you for your uh, insight. Please come back next week, same time, same day. Of course, of course. Thank you, Judge. Of course, all the best. Okay. And coming to us in just uh, an hour uh, at 4.30 uh, Eastern, uh, Scott Ritter, was Navalny a traitor? as well as and to Russia because he was an American asset. We'll get into all that. Also, also the latest happenings in Rafa, uh, in Gaza, and the latest happenings in Donetsk, 
uh, in, well, is it Ukraine or is it Russia? We'll hear from Scott on all this. We're uh, approaching 300,000 uh, on our subscriptions. Help us meet that number. Like and subscribe. You won't be disappointed. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.